This is the Truth Exchange Podcast with Joshua Gilo, special guest, Carl Tycrib. Yeah, I, I, I feel I've still got a little bit of punk rock in me. and uh... <laughs> I mean, honestly, going back even to Burning Man, that was one of the things that back in, especially 2018, that just hit me when I was at the burn and I was back again in 2019. And the last two years, they didn't have it. So it all in virtual and I participated in the virtual stuff. Um, what really bugged me was it's, it's just so rule based. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's become so, yeah, so politically correct. Yeah. So over-the-top rules-based. Um, in 2018, there was a, a, a big art piece that they're going to have. Um, I can't remember how many hundreds of drones were going to go up in the sky and create this big, unique piece. And they kept pushing us back further and further and further away from where the, the, zone, the, the drones were supposed to be lifting to the point where it was like, I'm not moving anymore. Um, and if, if you ever see the video of it, and I'm not sure if, if, if it's available anywhere, but you see this big ring of people around where the drones are all lifting up and they're all far back. And there's this one lone dude about maybe, you know, 40, 50 yards in front of everybody just sitting there done. That's me. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my goodness! Well, you, can sho- you can just shove all your safety rules. I'm done with. It. What's What's the last festival you went to? You know, the last thing I went to, and um, I'm gonna hold it up, uh, was in your country. Um, it was, uh, you know, the last one in person was Pantheacon, which was the largest gathering, largest indoor gathering of witches, um, uh, heathens, druids, and Wiccans in the world, and that mm-hmm. took, takes place in San Jose, California. But that was the last time I did an in-person event, and that was in early 2020, um, golly, like really early 2020. I came home and then basically went straight into lockdown mode. Wow. Uh, but then, of course, after that, piles and piles of virtual things, but uh, uh, including in, within the VR setting. I have to admit, uh, Burning Man in 2020 and 2021 in VR was very, very well done. Um, and I've been, of course, and like yourself, been to dozens and dozens of zoom and other virtual events and some of them have been really productive and good and others are just you just shake your head and go wow what a waste really well how so like how did the burning man go in virtual because i you know we just did a podcast on the metaverse okay and and i'm curious i mean are, are people coming away from that feeling like they have grown deeper within themselves, being more attached to uh, the the conscious stream, even though they're not physically touching things. It seems right. so counter to the the whole aspect of the Burning Man, which is very hands on, very experiential. You, right. you do the the mind altering drugs, you do the sexual experiences, you do all these things, and now you're pulled away from everything, and you're you're zoning out, looking at a screen. Right. Um, the, the, back in 2020 and 2021, they had multiple metaverses that you could jump into. I mean, Second Life has had a Burning Man virtual event for years and years and years. In fact, it, it's a, uh, an official regional burn. And I've jumped into Second Life burns, uh, golly, probably six, seven times, uh, maybe even more. Uh, but in terms of the VR experience for 2020 and 2021, I give the the people who did uh, BRC, Black Rock City VR, I give them credit. It was very immersive. You have mm. your head, you have your headset. Uh, you are interacting with people constantly. Uh, of course, you're not touching anything, but the the programmers went so far as to, and it was obvious that they understood how the burn is layered in terms of sensory input. So it wasn't just visual uh, as I would walk across the virtual playa or fly across the virtual playa. If I was in deep playa, the sound would shift and it would be, cause there's, as you well know, when you're going out into the deep playa, there's a unique sound to Burning Man as hundreds of art cars, sound camps. It's like a, a rumble. Just, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a different kind of, uh, you can't hear this anywhere else. It's a different experience. Mm-hmm. And they had that. Uh, they had, they had looped it in 
And if you were around the temple or around the man, it had a different sound. Uh, kind of a, went away from that rumble to more um, uh, sounds that you could start to pick out. And then when you were in the city itself or around some of the larger art pieces or center camp, it also had a different sound. And they, they understood definitely the different sound layers yeah, that take that take place at Burning Man, and I I reached out to the uh, to the programmers at Black Rock City VR, and I said, "You guys did it, um, you guys did it, you captured it." A when you put the headset on and you start walking through it, it's not the same, not even close, but there still was a sense of oh, I'm I'm connected back in, I'm 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 here, but I'm not. Uh-huh. So there's a sense of immediacy that comes with it, and I think Josh, that's what makes the you know, virtual reality, the metaverse concepts. Um, I think that's what brings um, kind of a, 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 this is what people don't realize. It's not just simply looking at a screen. Uh, this is not the internet of things. This is the internet of you. And so it's not a detached uh, connection the way it would be on Facebook. Um, you're walking in to the Facebook post. You're no longer just visually there. You're now able to examine it from every angle, every side, walk through it. Um, it becomes much more immersive. And, and it becomes immediate in that sense. I mean, all of a sudden you're there, you're acting in it. You're, you're, you see this as something that is real because digitally it is real. It is an alternative reality. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a fake reality. It is a form of reality, but it's a digital reality. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, it's I enough. Just, it's enough of a reality that I mean, when I, you know, if I would go and, and put my resume in for a, you know, or a job application somewhere, my employer is going to look on my Facebook or my Twitter feed. Uh, there's a digital reality. I've done things in the digital world that ha- now have a uh, a real life implication, and the same with the with the VR aspect. Um, at the very least, you you feel maybe maybe the best way of describing it is the internet of feelings because it's no longer abstract. You feel like you're a part of it. You feel like you're involved in it. What of those who don't connect? You know, that this came up in the, in the conversation with the metaverses is, is the the older generation they don't connect, or those who would say I'm just simply abstaining from this nonsense. I don't need to be connected. Is there is there has there been like discussion about those kind of dissenters, <laughs> the ludites? <laughs> to some extent, I mean, it, it's 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 like Web two point A lot of people balked at that at first. Which I mean, Web two point was the participatory web, yeah. uh, social media, blogs, your ability to no, long, no longer just look at curated information, but to participate in becoming an information provider yourself mm. in, a, in a small or a large way. And there was a lot of people balking at that too, just as there was. And I, I mean, my goodness, I've been on the web since 94, maybe late 93. I mean, literally months after it went live, the World Wide web went live, I jumped on. So I've been a very early adopter, um, like very early adopter. And I remember listening to the arguments against it from Christians specifically, oh, the web doesn't have real value, you know, you're not going to be a, you know, I'm not going to be participating, yada, yada, yada. And now, doesn't matter. Those arguments are, are moot. Uh, just like the arguments that, that you're, you know, for those who don't participate, no, at some point, you do. It's recognized, you, you just do, because all of a sudden you want to access services or access um, especially services that you may not be able to get otherwise. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's going to be especially relevant uh, in the medical and educational fields. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember those arguments uh, and, and I was still in high school when the, the web came out and, and, and look how it has greatly helped the church mm-hmm. in terms of teaching and resource and, spreading the gospel. Now we're, and, and this came up again in, in the metaverse discussion, and, and then we'll jump into our, 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 our main topic about identity, but with the metaverse, there's meta church. You don't need to go to church. You just pop on your goggles and you have your, the experience. And that seems, that's actually a real danger. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And and I can't help but to watch some of these young people that are getting some of these new virtual reality type systems and thinking the life skills are being lost. What it means to be a human is is lost. We we end up looking at ourselves as almost like gadgets. Hmm. Just simply an extension of the information that we are uh participating in no longer even absorbing we're participating in the information um but you're right there is there is a disconnect we end up having a disconnect uh, when we do virtual church versus meeting in person obviously uh that human interaction is essential i mean i look at the virtual space i look at at the technology including the technology you and i are using right now (laughs) we are engaged (laughs) in the internet right now Mm -hmm. um but uh, you know, there's a, when we when we take it to that level of complete immersion, uh, or or moving towards that that sense of complete immersion, it blurs. And this is where I think the danger lies. It blurs that distinction between one reality versus a different reality, because there are different. Re, you know, there are two types of realities. And what becomes more important to you is your physical reality, your day to day interaction, your 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 interaction with your church community, with your family. Is, does that take precedent or uh, is it this? Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and, and we already see that, that constant tension between our online presence versus our physical presence. And that tension's there. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, see, I see the danger being that it takes away from that, uh, the physicality, the emotion, the direct connection. Um, uh, w- one thing that I, I had an experience with not that long ago, I, I posted something and, and a friend was a little bit upset with what I had posted. And then we said, hey, you know, let's have coffee together. And he came, we hugged. Uh, we, had a, we had a really good time together, just the two of us. But he made a point. He says, I can't really be too angry um, when it's face to face, but it's easy to let the emotion and to let yourself go uh, <laughs> in the virtual space. Yeah. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, all of a sudden, the physical side says, oh, hey, this is a person. Uh, and I know from a Christian point of view, all of a sudden we realize this is our identity. We are made in God's image. Um, we are not made in the image of Silicon Valley, which is just simply giving us a... a, a um, a mirror looking back at ourselves, but it's a mirror that is, uh, that's distorted, distorted by, well, distorted, not just by the technology, but by the worldview often behind the technology. Yeah. Well, let's, let's transition then now into uh, the focus of, of the upcoming symposium. Dr. Jones has framed the symposium as this, beginning with some questions. What are your pronouns? How do you identify these current culture questions are a statement of one of the oldest questions of the human race. Who am I? Today's answers carry a beguiling temptation to define ourselves by looking within, whereas the older version implies that we should look outside ourselves, asking our Creator to tell us what we need to know. Whether in the church or the White House or at home or in the nation's schools, many in our culture, including Christians, are facing an identity crisis. So this upcoming symposium is called Stolen Identity, the Theft of the Binary in Contemporary Society. And Carl, you're going to be dealing with the rising global spirituality and the search for personal identity. Now that, that title may change as, as you continue to work on it, but let's why why that 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 subject why did peter call upon you to deal with this issue i think one of the reasons joshua is because uh, i've interacted within certain subcultures that are, are are really they are identity subcultures built on a larger identity question so earlier on you were asking what what was the last event i went to and that was pantheon uh it's a subculture and this mm-hmm. is there's subcultures within subcultures within this movement within the pagan community as well, but it is part of a broader global culture, and it's a, a global culture, an identity culture that really boils down to the question: Is our identity found ultimately in our Creator, 
or is our identity found in the creation? Which is it? And that broader question frames a new form of global spirituality that we are now uh, encountering. As Christians, we are, we are having to deal with it. And I, I see so many of the, of the subcultures that we will, the, you know, that we'll end up discussing as still operating under that larger umbrella of, of which identity do we align with the, our creator or creation? Which one is hmm. it? So let, let me give you some historical context. Very broadly speaking, there's overlaps. I get it. Um, it's messy, but I think it's important. Every culture has, let's call it a dominant framework or a dominant worldview or, or, or ethos. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the Christian or, or, or the, the, the realm of Christendom, from roughly 1700 back to the time of Christ, into the, into the, uh, the experience of, of the uh, Israelites, uh, their identity, that identity was grounded within a concept, within an understanding that we are made by, by our God, but we are made by our creator. Whether they are Christian or not, that ethos was there. The understanding was there. It was a framework that we all kind of hung our hats on. And then in the 1700s, we see the breakdown of that. We see uh, the move into what we would call modernity. Modernity giving us that materialist worldview, the rationalistic worldview that says ultimately um, we are living in a materialist world. There is no, there is no God uh, who is personal uh, who brings value, who created us. Um, we ended up becoming, you know, the, the rational, enlightened man. And our identities ended up changing with that. The, that ethos, that larger framework changed with that. Um, and then in the 1960s, and I make the argument in my book, in the 1960s, we, we see, of course, the breakdown of modernity. And I place that around the Vietnam War. I mean, there's some really interesting reasons for that. Um, But we see now the breakdown of modernity, the big question of of where does authority come from? Where does our our belonging, our identity, where does that all come from? Mm. Now we have rejected Christendom. We rejected hardcore materialism. We're left now with with the postmodern view, which is asking questions, but not really giving us any answers. It questions... Yeah, it questions authority. It questions uh, all the frameworks, all the standards, all the ethos. It questions that. It deconstructs it. But we're left hollow. Yeah. We're left hollow. We have nothing now to hang on to. At the same time, a new identity was in the works because as postmodernism offered us questions but no answers, answers at the same time were forthcoming and there was a parallel movement that really, since the year 2000, has come into its own in a significant way. And I argue that that is re-enchantment. Uh, you could call it post, post-modernism. Put whatever label you want, want on it. But the hunger, the global larger hunger for a framework, for an ethos, was demonstrated. Christendom is denied. Materialism doesn't work. Uh, questions without answers don't work. Where do we turn? Yeah. Where do we go? Where do we look for identity? Where do we look for a broader, uh, let's call it a myth, a broader myth. And by myth, I'm not meaning a fairy tale or a fable. I mean, I'm meaning a, a narrative that brings about a grounding into a culture. The recognition is that that myth becomes global. That myth becomes, mm-hmm. becomes um, focused in on creation first and foremost. So, a fantastic example of where that change takes place is April 22nd, 1970, which is the very first Earth Day. And that first Earth Day says no to Christendom very openly, very openly. It said no to Christendom. In fact, I have the environmental handbook, which was delivered uh, to students across America, across Canada, uh, I believe 20 million people p- participated in the first Earth Day. And there it was no to Christendom. And the Environmental Handbook, the very first essay, dives into that. We reject the Christian axiom. We need a new religion. That's how they frame it. Right. But what we need now is to recognize that we are global citizens. 
Mm. We are participants in a new global myth, a global story. The Club of Rome yeah. in the early 1970s described this coming, uh, this new club coming global age, uh, literally as a global myth that we need to adopt. Uh, the, they, and are you referring to like the age of Aquarius? It's more than just simply the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius takes upon itself that, that spiritual new agey kind of outlook. Yeah. This, this is more. This is not just simply uh, the new age thinly spread spiritual smorgasbord. Okay. Uh, you know, the new age became kind of like uh, I am going to aggrandize myself. I am going to find my divinity. I am going to step forward and, and it, almost a form of spiritual human potential movement. This is this is bigger than that. Okay. It's grounded in something deeper. It's grounded in we, the collective, mm -hmm. not the mm -hmm. I, the individual. It's now grounded in the collective. And our identity is found in the collective. And that collective has to find a new foundation. And that foundation is, well, let's call it global citizenship. Um, the first event I had attended as a researcher uh, was the Global Citizenship 2000 Youth Congress back in 1997, restructuring um, Canada's education system to adopt uh, the United Nations World Core Curriculum, the philosophy behind that. And so we were all given symbolic global citizenship passports. Uh, and now let me just read you a few a few lines from one of the one of the poems in the passport, because it gives us a sense of of who we're supposed to be. Decide to be a global citizen, a good inhabitant of the planet Earth, a member of the great human family. Pray, think, act, feel, and love globally, and you will aggrandize yourself to the outer limits of being. And it goes on to say, unite global citizens to save and heal planet Earth and to make our mother bloom again as the most beautiful planet in the universe. Notice a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you will aggrandize yourself. You will find this grounding in a new global identity. You are a global citizen. You're no longer just a citizen of the United States. You're no longer a member of the Presbyterian Church. You're no longer, in my, you know, in my situation, Tykrib, my last name. My identity is in something broader. It's in something bigger. The Club of Rome described this as literally global myth-making in the 1970s. <laughs> will be part of this global mythic experience. We feel it, we act on it, uh, we pray, we think in global terms. And then the point, you will aggrandize yourself. You'll become larger than yourself to the outer limits of being. And where does this go? Well, you become messiahs, you become saviors. It says so right here, unite global citizens to save and heal planet earth listen um i was uh, observing uh, the the um glasgow climate summit that took place uh back in october of this last of, of last year and i was particularly interested in what the uh the headlines uh, were, were saying the headlines were, were constantly pushing this theme of we have to save the planet we save mother earth mm -hmm. can we can we save our, our world. Um, and I think, you know, I was thinking to myself, what kind of hubris is this? <laughs> really? Really? We're asking ourselves to be saviors for the planet. And Joshua, I've heard this so many times when I was at the 2018 Parliament of World Religions, uh, the, the executive director in his closing speech to us thanked us for being, uh, for participating in the salvation of the earth. Mm. So our identity as global citizens is not just simply um, wrestling through what does this look like for me personally with my gender, my sexuality. All of those are, are subcultures within a broader global framework, which says creation aggrandizes itself. Creation saves itself. My identity now I have to be literally a social justice warrior, a global citizen. That is now my identity as I work to save Mother Earth. Mm. What do you say to the Christian that says, you know what, but Carl, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that there's some sort of 
common good, commonality within Scripture that says, well, we do need to be good stewards of the earth. Sure. Uh, we are part of a, of, of a bigger and greater collective. The new heavens and new earth is going to be filled with various tongues, tribes, and people. Let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater here. But the baby and the bathwater are two different things. Uh, <laughs> you know, but that's a really important point. Um, it's a question that I've had given to myself. I, I teach a modular course at a small Bible college in southwestern Saskatchewan. I do it once a year. It's a 20-hour course. And we always end up having these same kind of conversations. Well, shouldn't we engage in, in stewardship? Yes, Absolutely recognizing first and foremost that nature has value not because of itself but because of who created it right so that we have to have biblically a theology of nature and yes the and a theology of nature always points back to the creator not to the creation yep. right and, and then the other aspect that we have to keep in mind is when the world tells us that we need to act as global citizens and, and clean up our planet and clean up our environment, yada, yada, let us, as we have our own theology, because they're actually offering a counter theology, as we have our own theology, let us not emulate what the world is doing. Mm. Because it doesn't always mean that the world is right in what they're doing. My mm. goodness. Um, we're talking right now during, of course, Ukraine-Russian crisis. Your fuel prices are going through the roof. My fuel prices in Canada are just wicked. Uh, it's crazy. But it wasn't the result of the crisis between the Ukraine and Russia. That's just a small part of it. No, in my country especially, and, and yours as well, we are paying, we are paying uh, for the the climate change green agenda aspect. Uh, and we are paying, we're paying for that uh, in dollars and cents in a significant way. Uh, we're, we're doing this interview right now in the middle of March. On April the 1st, we're supposed to have in my country a whole new series of carbon taxes levied against fuel and fuel prices are going to go even higher. And they already have a carbon tax associated with them. So, does the world's solution to solve, you know, issues real or perceived, are those solutions effective? Not usually. In fact, usually they are quite the opposite. Usually, in fact, they are uh, detrimental to human flourishing. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the, that's the irony. I mean, you, you look at these like electric vehicles and they're supposed to save the environment, but you look in the production that it takes to make one and it's just far as if not more damaging to make one than it is to, to just keep driving your old pickup truck down the street. Right, right. And, and honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm in a farming background. Um, my, my background is I come out, you know, I grew up on a grain farm and I'm living in a farming community. Um, if, if you want to really take a look at, at those who are engaged in real stewardship, talk to landowners, property mm. owners, farmers, ranchers, who know and understand the land that they're on yeah. and, and who have to make a living on that, which means that it, it needs to be, um, it needs to have the, the productivity year after year after year after year. You just don't burn out your land versus the, um, pseudo spiritual Disneyland Bambi version of what of what ecology looks like uh, from from our deep ecology worldview, which mm. which has a Disney esque form of thinking or a spiritualized form of thinking that is antithetical to to what is actually taking place on the ground. This is a total off cuff question. As you were you mentioned Disney, and I'm I'm one of those annoying dads with the remote clicker, you know. And 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 my boys, they they know it's coming, right? They they see they see that hand slowly raise up and pause and be like, okay, what just happened, boys? What are there any any films, um, cartoon shows? I'm always fascinated by how much injection of this kind of content goes directly for movies and specifically for children and, and indoctrination. And I'm thinking, as you're talking about the global myth-making, being grounded in the collective, 
And I'm thinking, that I bet you anything, this has been, that you said 1970, this happened on Earth Day. You know it's been happening, or at least since then, in some small doses, but I'm, the ante has probably kicked up. Is there anything that, that you would point to off the top of your head in a program that is, this is all, this is a big chunk of, of, of the global myth making and, and, and recreating and the, and the pushing of, of that, that greater collectiveness. Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a couple of examples real quick. Uh, I believe it was in the early 1990s. Captain Planet was, was a kid's cartoon that came out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ted oh, Turner, yeah. Ted Turner was, 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 it was his brainchild. Uh, because Ted Turner was wrestling with global citizenship concepts and ideas of of universal oneness and all that monism that that Peter Jones and yourself talk about, um, mm. very much so. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name. He, I believe, he's passed away now. He was the architect of something called the First Earth Battalion. Um, he was a, a U.S. military officer who went to the to the to the Esalon. Um, a hot tub and, and spent time uh, interacting at, at the Esalon Institute in, in, in the hot springs and, and w- in the workshops and, and came out with the, the U.S. military slogan of uh, the uh, recruitment slogan, slogan uh, be all you can be, which was a human potential slogan. Uh, he was one of the, the, the thinking, you know, kind of the intellectual architects behind uh, the Captain Planet series as well. But there was a good example. I mean, Yes, you are. What, what's the whole purpose of it? You are going to be a, a savior for the planet. You're fighting for the planet. Your identity is is working to to try to bring about uh, healing on the planet and, and mm. battling the the evil villains of, well, now let's be honest, the evil villains of capitalism and Christianity and free market and all the other bad things that leftists don't seem to like too much. Um, wow. you know, that's just that that's that's off the top of my head, but you know probably the better one by far. And I would encourage, um, I would encourage your audience to take the time to, to first of all, read through Dr. Jones's books. Um, obviously I would say read, read mine as well. And then sure, we'll have, copy of the book. yeah, I've got a copy of game of gods right here. Um, here after you've wrestled with it, and I've told my class this at Miller college, after you've wrestled with this material, trying to work through one ism, one and twoism, all that goes with that, then pop in the movie Avatar. Mm. Avatar is everything. Avatar is transhumanism. Avatar is the virtual world. Avatar is the metaverse. It's green. It's mystical. Avatar mm. is uh, uh, Earth spirituality. It is planetary citizenship. Even though it doesn't happen on planet Earth, there's a, a direct connection to that concept of global citizenship. Um, Avatar is against nationalism. Avatar is against the free market. Avatar is about the collective and you all plugging yourself into the collective and having your identity formed around a global spiritual identity. Mm. Avatar is the movie. This is, uh, again, another off, uh, I'm loving these off questions, the, the off the cuff questions that, that are coming to me as you're saying, you're throwing at terms, nationalism. There was a massive movement just a few years ago against Christian nationalists. And the term never really got defined. But it was and 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 people would go to to writing on blogs, to podcasting about it, and down with Christian nationalism, down with Christian nationalism. And now granted, you think about the nationalist party uh, or the the socialist the national socialist party, the nazis right that, that those are the bad guys and those are definitely tied to christian nationalism but there is some aspect that it sounds like from what you just said that nationalism nationalism excuse me i'll get it is good yes yes boundaries defined borders um there is a a let's call it the politics of twoism which, which recognize that there are distinctions, there are divisions, there are boundaries mm. uh, versus the politics of oneness, which ultimately says we are all united. We're a single planet. We are one, we are, uh, you know, one universal civilization. But that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. I'm playing the devil's advocate. That sounds good to me. Yeah, you know, right? Why would you want to be separated? Why do you want those boundaries? Shouldn't we all be one? 
Don't you don't you like us all holding hands in a big circle and singing together? And a wonderful way to cancel somebody who doesn't agree with your position. Mm. Okay, my country, Canada, just went through this. Uh, my goodness, we had the trucker convoy movement. Uh, agree or disagree with it, and I, I agreed with with it for the most part. There was elements of it, of course, that were troublesome. But my goodness, the bigger and more dangerous troublesome side of it was my government's response to it, which was to cancel cancel bank accounts, to do things that were unprecedented in terms of government overreach. Uh, I want to see national boundaries and borders put in place. Because in doing so, let's call it maybe the, the, the competition of nationalism, where uh, we, we now will, will try to try to hopefully uh, build systems within our own our own cultural space where human flourishing is allowed. Whereas if you have a global movement where it's all one, where there are no distinctions, where where I can move freely, freely about, which sounds good in many respects. And yes, I can still move around to some extent. I mean, I still have to follow the rules to do it. But if we all of a sudden have a, a, a political movement that says, follow this ideology or follow this system, and if you don't, we will cancel you. Well, now you have got nowhere to hide. You have no, you have no alternatives. I can't move to the United States because it won't make any difference. You couldn't move to to Chile. It won't make any difference. Right. Um, just from that aspect alone, I look at that as as a dangerous move. It has great intentions. There's no argument. We could say, look at all the peace and the prosperity that could potentially bring potentially. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. It's not just a cliche. Yeah, it's a reality. I mean, it's it's a reality enough that we can go all the way back to in terms of identity. Uh, the very first, let's call it the good intentions of the fall, Genesis chapter three: Eat of the fruit, you will be as God. You will be mm -hmm. wise. You will know good and evil. Your eyes will be open. There's enlightenment. It sounds good. Yeah. You could even make the claim that Eve took the fruit with good intentions because she wanted to see herself become like her maker. But the act of it was divine identity theft. And we have been playing that game of divine identity theft ever since Genesis 3. That is what the global identity movement that Peter Jones wants me to talk about really is framed in. Man... Mm declaring himself to be masters of destiny, masters of meaning. We, not I, the we will build heaven on earth. We determine our own future. We are God. Mm. That really is divine identity theft. We've been playing this game from the beginning. Um, bringing it around to something that's maybe a more, instead of being a little more abstract, uh, my friend Bob Worley, and you and I were talking right in the very beginning about some of the Burning Man, uh, things around Burning Man. Uh, my friend Bob Worley is one of the, one of my campmates going to Burning Man, and I, I really respect Bob. Bob's a great friend. Um, my goodness, he's my brother. But I've seen Bob say this at Burning Man uh, as we've engaged in conversations uh, with, with people coming up to our tent. And Bob will say, look, you're my brother in Adam." There's our ultimate identity that we're all biblically part of. You, me, even our, my non-Christian neighbor down the road. We are all, whether we admit it or not, we are all brothers in Adam. Mm. But I really hope, I really desire that you be my brother in Christ. Our identity shifts from being the one who engaged in divine identity theft to saying, I will bow my knee to the one who has given me my identity mm. ma made in his image. And it is not the identity of the creation declaring itself rather than the creation declaring the creator. And I think some of these are, are really broad themes, but when you consider global spiritual identity movements, when you consider the idea of global citizenship, uh, um, our, our loyalty and allegiance to planet earth, uh, our loyalty and allegiance to the collective, however that may be defined, 
it really boils down to something as simple as that. Mm. Where's our identity found in creation or creator? And all the other sub-identities that come underneath that, the, you know, the, they're all important. They all, have, they all have value to be discussed. We need to discuss them. But yeah. that ultimate question, that ultimate global question of identity boils down to the Roman one's question, which is, do you worship creation or creator? Once you go back to the Romans one, and 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 is identity also found? I guess then in, in things that we do. There's 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 now a, a new movement to push against looking to Christ, finding your identity in Christ, union with Christ. To say no 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 no. There's there's when you say that it's ambiguous, and people need to get back to themselves. They need to be defined by. Uh, who they 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 love, what they do, um, and those types of things. And I and I guess how how does one parse out what does make a person? What is a person? And that that seems so completely lost today. And and I'm thinking about as I'm raising young children, they're going to come to people. They they are growing up knowing what identity is. They are the son of Joshua Gilo, they are Jewish, uh, they are Christian, uh, they are male and female. They they understand these categories and they're gonna come they're being brought up with around people that have lost all of that. Right. And it's it's there's just a massive amount of work it seems in the work of evangelism to kind of put all of those pieces back together. It almost seems very overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Absolutely. It is overwhelming. It is perplexing. But I think that's the importance of having an event like what you folks are engaged in doing, uh, what Truth Exchange is, is engaged in, is wrestling through these, these big questions, questions that become very personal, very meaningful, uh, very important, because everything uh, un- under... Uh, under under our sin nature is shattered identity is shattered Mm -hmm. um what does it mean to be made in the image of god what's the next what's the next thing to be deconstructed Mm. right yeah you know and 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 i'm going back to what you 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 told us this this afternoon or this morning about the the earth day christian need not apply and we are throwing off all these categories, all of these distinctions, what's the next thing that, that needs to be deconstructed or deconstructed in, in a person, especially people going into the whole virtual reality? Because I'm sure people are going to say, well, if, if, if my, new, my identity is now being reconstructed in this virtual realm, um, what is the point of matter? Right, right. What is, I mean, why, I mean, why not just simply check out and check in, right? And, and live as a machine. I mean, like, do you remember the movie? Did you ever see Wally? Yes. Yep. Right. So you're these people lounging on these chairs and they're watching these screens and they're, they're ordering their new sippy cups and they become these, these fat gelatinous things. You know, what's the next thing, I guess, you know, uh, spirituality. And I'm not meaning this in a feeling sense. So um, let me go back to Panthecon. One of the workshops. Yeah. One of the workshops I attended, and I'm going to see if I can quickly. It was on, I think, the second last day. Um, here we go. The title of this workshop was "Getting Straight with Spirit." And I'm going to give you just the, the a quick description of it from from the uh, the, the just from the workshop uh, description here. A non-binary look at source itself, animism, hmm. um, fey, exploring spirit in a state of wholeness before conceptualization of binary perspective. Being non-binary, I've explored gender with gods, spirits, fey, shining ones, asking why the why they need gender. Fairy creation, and fairy, by the way, is a, is a subculture of um, witchcraft. Fairy creation started through an 
orgasmic exaltation of God herself. We will explore these and more, delving into the alchemical union of polarities into a state of wholeness, oneness, humanity finding our power as we reweave ourselves back into the reflection of God herself as a divine adronogen. Um, so what was interesting with that workshop was the recognition that as we break down gender sexual binaries, we are engaged in an act of spiritual physical evolution. That's how it was being described. Mm. That physical spiritual evolution, the next stage, it, when, we can, can, when we can completely break down the gender binary, the next phase in our spiritual physical evolution will be breaking down the binary between physical human beings and the realm of spirit. Mm. We'll be able to interchange, uh, flow freely from one to the other. We will now have relations with those in the spiritual realm the fairies, the divas, um, the deities. It, it's wild. I'm not expecting to see people gravitate to this, but it just demonstrates the extreme that this goes. Yeah. One of the workshops I attended uh, at PantheaCon was on the question of spirit marriages, of how now to engage in a contractual form of possession where you are married to a deity. And everybody in the room around me um, admitted, yes, they had engaged in some form of spirit marriage. And the, the practitioner, the, the witch who was involved in leading the workshop, now it actually just has a book that, that, that would be published here in the next uh, couple of weeks, I believe it will, re it will be released, on the, the customs and rituals of spirit marriage. It is literally a breakdown, a final breakdown between the physical and the spiritual. Mm. And so when we take a look at, at the breakdown of gender binaries, when we look at the breakdown of every aspect of what separates, what is the ultimate separating point? It's not yeah. even the virtual versus the physical. It's the physical versus the spiritual. Now, how this plays out, that's open for, uh, you know, I think that's open for debate and, and it certainly is an important question. Uh, because I think a lot of people will go, well, that's just crazy talk. It's just crazy. Yet at the same time, I think we can already say that in terms of the worldview, we've been walking that road for a while. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's you, you listen to some of those things and you think, goodness, those people are crazy. They're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But then you just fast forward in 10, 15 years. I mean, it's going to be the norm. Right. Something like this. There will be some connecting point. It might not be exactly as being described in this, you know, the description of that workshop or, or what was encountered at that, you know, those two workshops. But there is something that it is moving towards the sense of, of complete connection. Um, I'm going to grab a quote from my book if I can quickly find it, because I think it, it kind of fits to a point. Oh, boy. This is Game of Gods, the Temple of Man, and the Age of Reenchantment. Yes. Um, let me look at my index if I can quickly find it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's one of those <laughs> problem of writing a large book. You kind of wonder, okay, <laughs> where did I put that? Um, <laughs> Starborn. Starborn. I'm not going to be able to find it, I bet. I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump around here just a bit. There was a, there, there is a, uh, a, oh golly, I won't be able to find it this quick. Uh, my apologies. I, I've, I've got a quotation from, from a, uh, a kind of a UFO cult uh, that formed in the 1980s. Uh, it, it had some, some traction in the 1990s, and then it kind of died away, um, kind of became you know, a little subculture on its own and just simply didn't have any, any real, real voice in, in any sense uh, within the New Age movement. It was just a small thing. But uh, in, in one of their 
one of their uh, writings, they talk about this. I'm not going to be able to find it. Darn it. They talk about this uh, kind of the final connection of, of Lucifer himself, because if all is one, if everything is one, then as man ascends to take his position of, as God, we can, we can rightly move forward in that identity with Lucifer and the fallen angels and together us humanity and the fallen angels together we can ascend and take the throne mm. because if it's all one our identity is ultimately god yeah uh, robert robert yeah. mueller who is the uh uh one of the sorry about that joshua robert no. mueller who is one of the the main speakers at the global citizenship 2000 congress uh talked about how it, you know talked about in his book new um um new genesis that the, the the bottom line is we are becoming the planet of God. Break, that down. The, break it down, quite simply, divine identity theft. We are making that claim. We are making that final, ultimate, evolutionary claim, that final, spiritual, physical claim that there is nothing else higher than creation. Wow. And that is where our identity has to be found. Um, speaking of which, here is a UNESCO document on rewriting and rechanging uh, our education curriculum and educational worldview. Um, Earth identity. That's it. Earth, our Earth identity and Earth awareness. Mm. The ultimate spiritual global identity system. Um, is a Romans one question of yeah. creation, creation or creator. And everything else falls underneath that. Everything. Yeah. Carl, thank you for coming on the Truth Exchange podcast. Again, Carl's book is Game of Gods, The Temple of Man and the Age of Reenchantment. Carl, where's the best place to get that book? You can go to gameofgods.ca and you can read excerpts and then follow the link to order it on Amazon. Okay. I was going to send people there, but I didn't want to... I didn't, I didn't want to send people to the wrong place and, and, no, and you not fine. get it. <laughs> it all comes out of Amazon ultimately anyways. 